Good afternoon, Sarah Hepla. Happy Christmas Eve, Nancy Rommelman. Happy Christmas Eve. You look like you've been sleeping outside. I mean, I mean that in a good way. I don't mean like you have sticks in your hair or anything. I mean, I, yeah, you, that's kind of like a posh way of saying you look like a homeless person. No, you, I'm sorry, unhoused. You look, uh, you look glowy. Like I went on a kick-ass trip to Palo Duro Canyon. Have you ever heard of that? No, it's in Texas. Texas is like don't, as big as the rest of the world, and like we don't, we can't all know this stuff. Yes, okay. Well, it's funny. Even people in Texas don't know about Palo Duro Canyon, which I think is bullshit, man. Because <laughs> let me tell you something. It is the second largest canyon in the country. It is magnificent. It's so beautiful. It looks a. It's like a. It's like a smaller version of the Grand Canyon. Which, by the way, have you have you been to the Grand Canyon? It's too big. Okay. Not only have it's I too been big, there, it's too big. Changed my daughter's diaper on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Just letting you know that in case anybody needs to know that. Yeah. Sounds disgusting. <laughs> like there are people that like traveled all the way across the country it was to experience pee. their moment of zen right there on the crumbling lip of the canyon. <laughs> and there's this like squealing baby flinging she, poo no, right next just to them. Pee. It was just pee. But anyway. Um, okay. Um, anyway, my point about the big ca- the Grand Canyon is that um, I've been there a couple times and it's just like, you know, the splendor is real, but it is too big. It's too yeah. big for the brain to contain. Yeah. What's nice about Paladuro is that it's like, it's like magnificently big, but human size, if that makes any sense at all. Like you can get your head around it. Um, it's in, it's right outside Amarillo, which is in the panhandle of Texas. Mm-hmm. I never understood when I was a kid, I thought the panhandle was the thing on the left side, which is West Texas. Isn't it on the And the, the panhandle is the part on the top. Right, right, right. Like a pan. Like it would be at the top. I'm just saying there's different ways you could okay, make a pan work out of that shape. And I feel like that's never acknowledged. When people talk about panhandles in the state of my, in my state, they never acknowledge the ambiguity that could be out there. And so I just wanted to take this moment to address that. I spent two days glamping. Have you been glamping before? No, but glamp? I, I slept in a yurt once and I was, it was really nice. It was on Oh, then you have glamped. That's full on glamping. Well, it was someone's winery. Like they had a, you know, like if oh, you went to the winery, you could. double glamp. Double yeah, glamp. I, I double glamped. Yes, I double glamped. Yes. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. Well, I'm writing a piece for Texas Monthly about glamping and I'm going to a couple different places. I talked about the treehouse. Um, this was a place in Palo Duro. It's called a glamp site. They're really going full in on the glamping. So, there was like even a sign like in a state park, like it, there it is. It's a state park and there's a little sign in wood and it just says glamping. It was so cute. You know, is, it was is, like the, this glamping a portmanteau of glamour and camping. Yes. Okay. I just, it was coined around 2005. Um, I think it went into the Oxford English dictionary in like 2011 or 16. Obviously somebody's doing their research, but it's not quite, um, settled yet. Yes, it it was an attempt to make Americans excited about camping. That lost, you know, art of hot dogs over the fire and you know, canvas tents and it was this the idea was sort of like what if we put in fire pits? You know, what if we gave you like bedding? Um what if we made it cool on Instagram? And and it's been like a bring, a game of brinksmanship in the glamping world for the last 10 plus years, 15 years. And it's really caught on. I mean, it really went crazy over the pandemic. The stats on glamping, which yes, there are stats on glamping. 
they've gone really high. It's it's we're in the high cotton years of glamping. I'll just have you know. And so anyway, why did I tell you that? You said I looked glowy. I took it's was beautiful weather, beautiful weather out there. And I loved it. If 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 I didn't have a cat that refused to travel, I'd still be there. I'd disappear. You wouldn't see me again. I don't care. Bye. Bye. Bye to oh, this podcast. Girl, we have the same. I have the, man, my disappearing fantasies are so strong. They are so, actually, I was up for like two hours in the night. Like, okay, so if this happens, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call the movers. I'm going to get that done. And I'll get like the art sent upstate and maybe this table and a few things. Everything else is going to go. The guy that Chinese laundry downstairs, he's going to take the couch. I don't care. And just be gone. This is like my, yeah. you know, this is a. I'll take a, some things from your apartment. Good, great. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. There's like some art that I really love. No, I love that I picture. Like. Which one? No, I'm going to take it. Well, you, you can't disappear and hold on to your art. Okay. Okay. The one of Tippi Hedren oh, yeah. lighting her yeah, cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My friends. Uh, like a bird is is lighting a match. It's, 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 it's fantastic. It's from the birds. It's Tippi Hedren with a crow. Yeah. And my friend Sabrina painted it and gave it to me. I love that. I absolutely love that painting. And someone actually asked, oh, is that you? I was like, no, they're like, yeah, it really looks like you. I'm like, great, whatever. So, um, well, the person is stylish, but I wouldn't say they look like you. I would say that it has a similar, um, kind of rebellious style, much like you do. But if you die, <laughs> I would like that. Okay, you got painting. it. Okay, I will put that on the Just back. Just want it on record. You know, here. this is actually a good tip. Some a friend of my mom's, they've both passed away now, but they had a lot of art. And what they did is they put, like, they had three sons, and they put yeah. their, the son's name, like, on the back of each piece so that when they yep. were gone, like, there was no no arguing about that. So oh, My grandmother tip. did that. My Hold on, I'm going to get you the... <sighs> my Wait. grandmother did that. Oh, I'm looking at your grandma. And wow. that's a picture of her. She looks a lot like me. I don't know how, you probably can't see it very well. She looks a lot like me okay. in this photo. And she had 20 grandchildren and this was what I inherited. She very put my sweet. little name on the back. So what else did we, right before we started um, this podcast, something very, very important for our listeners to know, what else do we have in common? Because you were glamping. What did you do when you were glamping? I had to pee outside. And I just had to pee outside because the water is turned off in the barn. I'm upstate for the winter. So... Just in case you guys needed to know that about us, we're not afraid to do that. You got to do it. Girls have needs. This was a surprise so. to me. I'd been to another glamp site where they had a full bathroom. And so when I got there, it was like, oh, yeah, surprise. There's no there's no ba toilet. You can walk to the public facilities, but it's really – it was quite far. By quite far, I mean it would take me like maybe five minutes. But, I mean, that's 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 for me – for little me with my peanut-sized bladder that drinks <laughs> LaCroix seltzer all day? No. No, okay. I'm not going to get anything okay. done. And so I'm working they did here. have... Yeah, I'm working here. They did have uh, what they called a camp toilet. They said, if you... You will be charged $8 if you use the camp toilet. I'm just going to tell you what the camp toilet was. The what? camp toilet was a white plastic bucket. And I was like, no, I'm not going to be charged $8. Not on my watch. I'm not spending $8 <laughs> to all be this, in a There's all this bucket. outdoors here. I mean, it's Oh, the absorbent. splendor. So there splendor. We <laughs> splendor of the outdoors. Splendor. So I the had, let, me, let me ask you a question. This is going to be TMI for some of our listeners, oh. uh, but it's going to be JMI, just 
no, J-E-I, just enough information for others. <laughs> yes. I, it was, it was, it was sunny, but it was cold. It yes. was like sunny, but chilly, like 65, 70 degrees where I was. Oh, chilly. And I, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's yeah. 30, 30 degrees here right now. Yeah. So it was Texas. That's okay. called Texas chilly. <laughs> no, I was like 55 degrees. Okay. Okay. So I would go and pee in the same spot. And one of the things I noticed was I kept going back to the same spot and I could always find it. Kind of like when I go into a bathroom stall, I always go to the same bathroom stall. That's actually, what I is read, that? I read a study what is about that. that. I read a study about that once people will go back to the same stall. They just get used to it. Why? Well, I think I think going outside to the same spot makes sense because you don't like you don't want to shit where you eat, right? You want to have things clean and orderly. So if you have one okay. place where you do that, then it makes sense as opposed to just like I'm just gonna do it anywhere. Like it just makes just sense. Just being all over anywhere. Well, do you think <laughs> but it might make I wonder men like to I wonder if men do that though. Okay. Men might like to pee all over the property and women want it in the same place. I think I've identified a very fascinating gender difference. Well, I would yeah. like our male listeners to comment on this. If you go outside, do you go in the same spot or do you go different places? Ding, ding. Question for the day. I can tell you it is my uh, my impression that men do like to sort of like, I don't know, different places, but it's like they want to take up room. Like it's just important That's to take up room to not be like small. Girls want to be small and oh, look how big I am. And they're like, take I'm up any room I'm... with my pee. <laughs> I'm just gonna pee in this one okay, little spot. So, okay, I, we've had enough peeing. All right, Sarah. 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 It's Christmas Eve. Have you wrapped any presents yet? Yeah. I wrapped a present for my brother and my dad, and then I've got to go get tissue paper. And I mentally wrapped my hot box to open later this episode. You wrapped your hot box? That's I don't know, Sarah. Just, that sounds very um. It's like beja- it's like it's like bedazzled. Bedazzled is that? Yeah, it was a it was a trend in like 2012. Which was what? What was the trend? Vajazzling? Do you remember oh, vaj- What is that? No, what is that? You're putting you're putting like fake gemstones on your pussy? What is it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh wow. It's kind of like wearable lingerie. And it was a I swear to God, nobody in the world ever did this except maybe like one celebrity did it for Instagram or like a social media influencer did it. But there must have been like a hundred trend stories about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket because people are vajazzling. Well, I, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's funny. I just had something else to do that season. I, I, I just didn't get to it. It was like on my to-do no, list. Fine. I just didn't get to it. It's kind of like how you just started doing bitmojis like a year or two ago. You I know? have a bitmoji story. Somebody. Of course you do. Cause it's 2023. I don't and know. Nobody what... has okay. bitmoji stories like Nancy Rommelman. Okay. I made my little bitmoji a couple of years ago. It looked kind of like me. I used it occasionally. It was fun. I went to go use it the other day. It had changed. It didn't look like <gasps> me anymore. It had like a what? bigger n- nose and a weirder body. What? And I tried to fix it and it kept going back to this other Nancy. And I'm like, I just deleted it. I'm like, you know what? That is not me. And goodbye, Bitmoji. So no more Bitmojis. What can I say? I didn't do it. That Bitmoji did look like you. It did I will look give like me. It was cute. I'll try to find one. Um, So I have a Christmas... I've wrapped two presents so far. Actually, I've got some in the city for, for city people, but I'm up here with my mom and my daughter. Just wrapped my daughters. But I want to tell a little story which might be useful to other people going through this. I've met I've met a bunch of people whose parents or grandparents um, or whatever aunts or whatever have um have dementia 
or Alzheimer's or in some stage. My mother, she's, you know, she's getting there. She certainly knows who we are and all that, but she's, uh, she's changed a lot. And, you know, you just, you got to roll with it. You got to like figure things out. So last year I got her a mechanical cat. I think we've talked about it. I I ordered. I love that mechanical cat. It's so cute. I ordered the robot cat and um, it's small. It's like the size of a cat. It meows. It kind of can turn over and everything. And my mother loves this cat. Like she's like, oh, have you said hello to kitty the minute, minute you come in? And we do that, but it's not like an obsession or anything. Anyway, I saw this, I don't know if it was a TikTok or something on Twitter. I wish I could find it because I wanted to show it to my daughter. Um, it was an older British woman. She's probably like 85 or 90, very, very attractive. And the camera's on her and she's got on her sort of a, sort of the size of like about a five-year-old, but a very floppy and not too stuffed tiger. It's like, a, it's kind of like the head is on her shoulder and the arms are kind of draped around and is sitting on her hip. And a woman who's filming says, you know, Mary, let's say her name was Mary, Merry Christmas, Mary. And Mary goes, where did you get this? And <laughs> says, oh, I, I found it. She said, you found it? This is, this is the best present I could ever have. And then she looks at it and she's holding it. And she turns to the camera and has this like flash love lucidity like my mother does sometimes and says, "Yeah, you can see the importance of connection. So yeah. my daughter and I went yesterday to... Uh, Went to a Target. We didn't see anything. We went to a Big Lots, like which is I'm sorry, it was the store was really depressing. But don't go had, to Big Lots. It was bad, and it, it smelled like poop, and it was bad. Yeah, don't. But but they had like these incredibly big stuffed animals, so we got her one, and I just wrapped it, and it's really cute. And so that's what I'm going to give her tomorrow. And you know, maybe she'll like it, maybe she won't. But it's super soft, and it's just you got to meet them where they are. I know that sounds like a corny expression, but it's like. Like I could get her like a puzzle book. It's not gonna. She's not gonna enjoy it. So it's so anyway. interesting to me how, as we age, we get younger in some ways. Or oh, completely. You know that core part of us is still there. I don't know if we're aging backwards, kind of like a la Benjamin Button. You know, as much as this core central part of us never went away this childlike thing inside of us. And it's revealed much more easily when you're older, you don't have the defenses. And you see that I see that in my parents, um, who are, you know, very, uh, still very with it. Yeah. Yeah. They're very with it. But, um, but every once in a while you see this, you know, this, it's, it's so interesting how this like circle of life thing where like your parents become children to you. Oh, she, she, when she has caregivers here, like they're not, not 24 hour, but they're here like in the mornings and the evenings. And they have noticed it's like, I'm sort of like her mom. Like she thinks of me, she doesn't call me mom or anything like that, but I'm sort of like the one making the food making sure they take care of. And she's very, very, I have to say, she's like, she like wants to rub my hands and everything, which she never did when she had her marbles, but she's just become very loving. And, um, yeah. So anyway, that's a Christmas. We'll have Christmas tomorrow. And then, um, yeah. So, well, maybe you, the listener, will be listening to this on Christmas, in which case, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Oh, really? We're going to, well, we're going to do another episode before the end of the year, just telling everyone how unbelievably thankful we are for everything. But thank you for joining us this Christmas morning. If you are, if you're cooking, if you're, nobody's up yet and you're having some coffee and, uh, yeah, and uh, and maybe making that focaccia. I had a good, I had a pie talk that dropped today, and I'm telling you, you should learn how to make this focaccia. It's easy, and it's like calling everyone home. Come on, mm. come around the table. 
or maybe uh, Christmas has already taken place and now oh. you're in that post-Christmas depression where you're like, oh, I didn't get anything that I wanted. This is a stupid holiday. Oh. What happened to my life? No. Oh, you know, no. I, oh, sorry. This is just me. This is what I do after <laughs> Christmas. Sorry. No, you I, I, don't. Any, you other people do might. Other, a little bit. A little bit. I always feel a little bit depressed after Christmas. Uh, same with New Year's Eve. Same with my birthday. You know, it's like, it's like anything that involves a tremendous amount of anticipation. I can't help but feel like an equal and opposite, like let down. This, this is true about me. Is I, this not true about you? No, I don't know. A number of years ago, I just, I mean, I don't, my parents hadn't given me a birthday present in, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. I just like, when anybody that gives me something, I'm just so kind of, I just love it. I love to see what they thought. Like, why did, why would they think that I would like this? It's cool. I don't know. No, I don't, I don't you know, feel that sometimes, way. Sometimes you say that I'm the nicer person, but I do think that there's a very strong <laughs> argument that you're the nicer person <laughs> and that you're just a lot more like Pollyanna-ish than I am. And I'm like a lot harder to please and you're like well, uh, you're like kind of like natively optimistic i think i am optimistic that is true i'm optimistic that's true yeah um so sarah yeah. what did you you know you we talked earlier today and you were like you knew exactly what people wanted for a christmas episode it was just it was sort of the exact right fit for the smokem girls to talk about and i was like let's do it girl so uh you want to tell our listeners what we're going to talk about today well first i'm gonna say that this all started this all started the little christmas story i'm gonna tell you all started when i was ride driving out to amarillo which is six hours in the car so that's 12 hours both ways and i asked nancy for a book recommendation she gave me one i didn't want to listen to it i'm always this way see you're nicer than me and i thought what do i want to listen to and i realized that what i wanted to listen to was my annual revisitation of the 22-hour podcast that is verbatim transcripts read from the Harvey Weinstein trial of 2020. <laughs> I have now done this for three years. Uh, at this time, because the original trial was in 2020, I found a diary entry where I had gone and done this on New Year's Day of 2022. And I'm now doing it. I now did it on the drive home. It, by the way, it's more than six hours because uh, I was doing it on the drive home. Uh, it took something like 12 to 15 hours. I'm not even done with it yet. Nancy, what is wrong with me that I want to listen to this podcast over and over again? It's like, it's my, it's a wonderful life. Right. It's your, it's your annual tradition. Well, if you were asking me, honestly, what I haven't listened to it. So I would say, you know, each I'm, I'm going to imagine that each time you listen to it, something else sort of crystallizes or there's a yep. little seed that you're like, oh, let me, let me follow this. Oh, wow. It didn't even sprout last time, but this is here yep. because, because this story set off an entire movement. Yes. He was made the the ur villain like we're going to you know besides yep. maybe a Jeffrey yep. Epstein we're going he's going to be the guy he's the face of it he's also had his comeuppance but it's never going to be enough you can never yep. ever hate on Harvey Weinstein enough you can never have him be more infirm more years more 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 um so it's it is a fascinating fascinating story of our time and i can understand why you're fascinated having not listened to it but go ahead sarah tell us about it 
Well, I I think, first of all, I think that was a really good articulation, broad scale of why I go back to it. Why anybody goes back to anything, right, is that there is something in it you're still trying to find or figure out. Um, in this case, just to, let me tell you about it real quick, what it is. This is a podcast that was done by two Irish journalists. They're married and they're adorable. Their names are Anne McElhenney and Fedham McLear. Um, they're from Ireland, but they live in LA. Um, what they did is something that I can't believe more people don't do, but it would actually be incredibly time consuming, which is that they took a trial that was ongoing and not being televised. They took transcripts from it and they hired actors to read the transcripts. So this trial, which went on for between January and February of 2020, so it's what, like a month and a half. Um, all of this was being, you know, telegraphed to us in various news reports, but this is eight hours in a courtroom that's being shrunk down to maybe an 800-word dispatch that may or may not, in my view, accurately represent what happened in the court that day, right? Right. Now, the other aspect of this that you have like put your finger on that I think is so important is that he was the Irvillain, that there was nothing that could be like, like, he was the monster. There was no amount of punishment that could be bad enough for this guy. He is continually brought up as like, you know, somebody might have done X, Y, or Z, but they're not a Harvey Weinstein. Like whatever the spectrum is, he's on the far end. Okay. And because of that cultural presumption, there is no space made for trying to understand what went down there or for perhaps for allowing that maybe the things that we think happened weren't actually what happened or the things that happened that were really bad were far more complicated and shot full with shades of gray than we want to say. Because if I were to admit that, what would I be, Nancy? A rape apologist. A rape apologist. There we go. I would right. be a rape apologist. And there's only room for one of us on the podcast, you know, so I've already I've already been given that mantle. Yeah, so, you, you, know. you have that mantle. Yeah, yeah. I've been a rape apologist in training for many years. <laughs> I have not gotten my certification. Um, well, I don't know. This, I mean, this might be the podcast that just takes down my career. Like, I'm just yeah. going to go straight into the flames in 2024. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I like about this is that um, McElhaney and McAleer, who I, I, I guess they live in L.A., but I thought in the beginning, I was like, are they like not aware what you can and cannot say? Because they just stick to the facts of the case. And I'm like, I remember the first time I started listening to this and I was like, oh, I don't think they're allowed to say that. They're, they don't care. It turns out they... Um, they are American. They're also like conservative journalists. I didn't realize that at the time. I'm now, ugh, God, I'm veering so conservative. It's uncomfortable to me. Between like the, um, what's it called? George Floyd documentary that we just yeah. saw. Yeah, which is, you and, know. Uh, like, and we, there, we, there's so, so many of these, of these journalism stories. Like one side just completely puts their hands in, in the air, like, oh, we're not going to touch the hot potato. And then the other side, like, actually interrogates it. It's really fascinating. This is, this is truly a fascinating story. 
If um, I can just, I just want to interrupt you for one second before you get onto that in terms of the George Floyd. I haven't, I haven't listened to what you're talking about, but we, we talked about the George Floyd documentary. I will put a link to it in the show notes. Um, you know, the reason why that movie was so, I mean, it was of course being told from one point of view, of course, you know, the woman who is the, she, who is the, um, who's sort of the narrator and the, the journalist in it. Yes. She was married to the head of the police union. We don't really hear that. I mean, it's definitely a cop centric thing. Yeah. And that's, we know that going in. Okay. So you're going to take that sort of with that maybe grain of salt. However, what's so interesting in that it took three years to get that made. It was crowdfunded. It's from a more conservative point of view. And the reason it's there is because in 2020 and the subsequent years, nobody was talking about this. Nobody wanted to tell the story this way. It's another way to tell the story. Is it got some sort of, is it beveled in one way? Sure it is. Just like other places were beveled in one way and you were getting that particular prismatic view. But when, yeah, so when we when we watch something and say, well, yeah, it's conservative, it's crowdfunded, it's like, well, you can't do that. It's like, well, of course you should do that. You should also watch this. Because yeah. it's going to give you a fuller idea. Maybe you take little pieces of it that you want. But anyway, in any, in any case, go ahead. Well, and, and yeah, we watched a Ronan Farrow documentary earlier this year that was much more sympathetic to the women in the case. Um, you know, that was done from that perspective. You know, what's what's cool about this is is no matter what uh, sort of political affiliation, by the way, they never mentioned politics. I just happened to look them up um, on Wikipedia um, and saw that they'd done a documentary about like about fracking and um, climate change denial or something like that. I was like, oh, wait, what's going on? OK, but anyway, um, they're just reading from the trial. Right. And and of course, you can argue that there are there are editorial decisions being made about what portions to share. That's that's true. But they're just and, and, and there's comments here and there. Oh, that didn't sound right. Oh, this sounded weird to me. But they're really attacking this as journalists. They're really coming to this with with skepticism for every party, which is the way the uncomfortable way that you should be a, approaching right. stories like that's this. right. That's right. Um. And you are allowed to kind of sit in that courtroom. And I realized one of the reasons, you know, courtrooms make me a little bit batty because both sides are not telling the whole story. And that bugs me. Like well, this, but- this really <laughs> bugged me in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial because I was like, both of you motherfuckers are lying. Both of you are lying. And it was like nobody could just integrate both stories and be like, well, actually. Um, but when you watch a trial especially one of this scope and you ha- it's like a it's like an immersive multi-character drama novel where all these different people come in and complicate your understanding of the truth and it's always pivoting with every new person on that stand they're adding in some new facet that you hadn't considered they're bringing you know skepticism on something you thought was true they're they're making something that you thought sounded absurd into something that maybe that is true and so you're always pivoting it it, it is it is such a satisfying narrative experience for me. I gotta tell you. Give us one example of something that you're like, we're going, we're going down this road, we think it's gonna be this, and all of a sudden you're like, what? Whoa, like just total dogleg or contrast. I will. I'll give you one example. One thing I wanna say is that I think there are a lot of women that like, um, a lot of people, but especially women that like true crime trials, podcasts. I don't, I don't like that as much. What I like are these ones about love and romance 
and 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 that's very girly of me. But it's true. I got really swept up because I think that love and relationships and connections between humans, that's to me the most interesting story. It's not kind of like like why people kill someone else or how they get away with it. Like that's all really, really fascinating, but it's not interesting to me. What's interesting to me is how people betray each other, how you betray yourself, what happens to love. Um, so, you know, I, I remember being like a little kid and watching Kramer versus Kramer and being like, this is the saddest story that's ever been told. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. like I, from a very young age, had this sense of like, oh, my God, love dies. And and that is so sad. Kind of like the way I, I remember re- realizing that we all died. And I was like, that oh. is a tragedy. You know, mm-hmm. so. So anyway, um, I'm going to give you an example. You know, one example is the story of, uh, and I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a eye popping reveal. Okay. But this is one of the very common little pivots that happens throughout this trial. We had heard a story. It was by a woman named uh, Lauren Young. She was what's called a Molyneux witness, meaning she was there just to give context. It wasn't even her case. But you might remember her story from some of the, I think it's in the New Yorker, maybe it's in the New York Times. She goes to a a meeting with Harvey Weinstein uh, in the lobby of a hotel. His assistant is there. They go up to the room to read some scripts according to her. She finds herself backed into a bathroom and Weinstein's assistant pushes her into the bath. What she says is, Weinstein's assistant pushes her into the bathroom and then you watch as the door is closed. It's a very cinematic moment. This kind of idea that you're trapped in this enclosed space. With- Hi, smoke them if you got them listeners. This is Sarah Heppola with Nancy Rommelman. Hi. We're inviting you to listen to the rest of this conversation, but you have to subscribe go to smokeempodcast.substack.com slash subscribe. We hope to see you on the other side. Bye.